Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Jeff Leder. I'm part of the ministry team here. And uh, isn't it a great morning? Well, we're going to be looking at the topic, uh, Jesus is the Son of God. But before we do jump in, let's just bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Our Lord, we acknowledge you as our Lord, our Saviour, and as the Son of God. And Father, we thank you that you've called us to be your children. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as a loving Heavenly Father. Challenge us, Lord. Heal us. Forgive us. Nurture us. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting title, The Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God. And that title or its equivalents like The Son or My Son occur more than 154 times in the New Testament. It is a term that Jesus used occasionally to refer to himself. It was also used by God the Father when Jesus is baptised and it was also used by God the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration, that point which sort of was where Jesus was coming to the end of his ministry and he was about to move on to Jerusalem where he was finally executed on the cross. But that term was also used by a number of other people, witnesses throughout the Gospels, who recognised Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. But we need to ask ourselves, what does this title, the Son of God, actually mean? And what are the implications of Jesus being the Son of God? Well, firstly, it means that Jesus, the Son, has a very close relationship with God the Father in heaven. This relationship was and is, continues to be, deeply personal and intimate. This was demonstrated when Jesus prayed, the, uh, when he prayed, and he prayed almost exclusively to God, his Father in heaven. And when Jesus prayed, he used the term Abba, Abba Father. And this, in those days, this was a term in Aramaic of familiarity, of intimacy, of closeness. It was a word that children used of their fathers. It was like us using the word daddy, daddy God. And when Jesus spoke of his relationship with his father, and we see this particularly throughout John's gospel, we see repeatedly that closeness demonstrated and the unity and the love that the father had for the son and the son had for the father. Specifically, this relationship involved Jesus, the son, knowing the father and his will. He knew his father and knew his father well. He knew what his father wanted him to do. It also involved sharing in all that the father had. It was a partnership, a very close partnership. And it also involved the son enjoying that special access and influence with the father. But overall, the relationship between father and son, the son, 
is characterized above all else by love. By love. And I need to say, confidence in that love and assurance of that love. You see, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Jesus knew he was loved, and the Father expressed his love for, this, for his one and only Son, the Son, by giving him all things, and especially giving him the people who came to follow the Son. Secondly, the term son implies that there is a relationship of obedience and submission to the Father. Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father's will. He did this willingly and it was a product or a result of the love the Father had for his son Jesus. And this attitude of obedience is seen in, in um, like Isaiah's prophecy and the use of the term, the suffering servant. The suffering servant, the suffering servant of God. And Jesus expressed his servanthood to God through obedience to the will of his Father in heaven. He obeyed willingly, gladly, because he knew he was loved by his Father. And this obedience was such that it actually led to him being ultimately crucified on the cross. And we might jump back to Jesus' baptism. Note the words the Father said at the baptism. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. The same words are repeated at the transfiguration. With him I am well pleased. Both at the start and the and the Nearing the conclusion of Jesus' ministry, the Father expressed how glad and pleased he was with the Son's servanthood, with the Son's obedience to the Father's will. And the Father was pleased to affirm Jesus in this way. And as the obedient Son of God, we see that Jesus shares the work of the Father. And those tasks included things belonging uniquely to God. Things like giving life to the dead and pronouncing judgment on sin, as we heard in the first reading. Indeed, Jesus says nothing except what he has heard from the Father. And he does nothing except what he has seen the Father do. He's an image, a mirror of the Father. And the works Jesus does on earth are actually, what, are actually the Father's works which are being done through him. So we see Jesus the Son has a close relationship with God the Father. We see that that relationship is one of obedience and submission. And thirdly, we see that the title Son of God is unique. And it's used exclusively of Jesus. He is the Son of God in a special, unique sense. And yes, Jesus has the capacity to bring people to him, bring his followers into an experience of divine sonship. Yes, we are sons and daughters of the living God. 
And that happens through faith in Jesus. But Jesus consistently distinguishes between the sonship, I should say, and daughtership, but the sonship and daughtership of his disciples and of his own sonship. He speaks of my father and your father, but never our father. Now somebody is going to say, yeah, well, what about the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven. Well, that prayer is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to say. So as his disciples, we are encouraged to pray, Our Father. Okay? But Jesus refers to my Father himself. Okay. So all of this... Whoops. That's uniqueness. Implies that the divine sonship of Jesus is unique. He is the Son of God in a sense not true of anyone else, even believers. So what does that mean for us? Jesus, the Son of God. I think we can accept all that stuff. We read it from the Bible, all these things about the Son. But what does it mean for us? How do we apply this? Where does it take us? When we accept Jesus' forgiveness through his death on the cross, a transaction happens. We're actually welcomed into God's family and we're welcomed as his very own sons and daughters. We're adopted through his grace not through anything we've done or through any merit of ourselves and in so doing we are to model our lives on the example provided by the son of God the example provided by Jesus we are to follow his example and become his disciples or his apprentices I like the word apprentices We're apprentices to the master. We are to become like him. And because we are children of such a loving heavenly father and because of his love, the love that he has shown towards us, a consequence of that love, of that sacrifice, is that we gladly Submit to his authority in our lives and we willingly obey his commands. We want to do the things that he's told us to do. Not just because he is the almighty creator, God of the universe, who will judge us at the end of the days, but simply because he knows us and he loves us. He is our father, our heavenly father, and we know that like all true fathers, he wants what's best for us to live fruitful, satisfying, fulfilling lives, bringing glory to God himself. And we are confident and assured of that love. There is no doubt about it. And as we reflect and take that on board, as we reflect on that relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father, How does that reflect in our lives? Do we enjoy the same kind of close, 
intimate personal relationship with our heavenly father as Jesus did for example when we pray do we begin with words like dear Lord dear God dear heavenly father and do those words reflect the intimacy that Jesus expressed to his father when he prayed Abba father daddy God do we enjoy the warmth the care of God's loving arms embracing us enfolding us and drawing us to himself is our relationship with God as God intended it and indeed wants it or is our relationship with God something distant a relationship that's hampered by unresolved sin in our lives or perhaps our relationship with God our Heavenly Father is distorted by the experience of less than perfect relationships with those who brought us up and nurtured us through our childhood years I want to briefly look at some areas of misconception concerning our God our Heavenly Father and his love for us this is because for many people not all but for many people their relationship with God has been hindered by a failure or absence of tender loving care from one or both of their parents issues like parental authority I wonder if you've ever you might have even had one yourself if you visited a friend's house and you've been greeted by a wildly enthusiastic puppy who jumps up on you with dirty paws, he tries to lick your face, he's wagging his tail, he's so excited to welcome you as a visitor. Perhaps he even looked like that. I like that photo. <laughs> he's just besotted. <laughs> but on the other hand, have you ever encountered a dog that's been badly mistreated? he'll cower away from people and perhaps tremble in fear when you approach him which, is, which scenario is like it when you approach God are you wildly enthusiastic to be in the presence of God our Father or do you cower in fear away from him do we just get so excited coming before God that we just want to be in his presence we get a, there's a buzz in our hearts and joy that just wells up inside of us when we come before God is that what it's like for you you know in many ways our past experiences influence our response when God reaches out to us and unfortunately people who have experienced abuse from their parents growing up often struggle with the idea of a loving heavenly father they pull back from authority figures because those who have had authority over them have failed to exercise that authority wisely responsibly and lovingly a guy by the name of, he's got a brilliant name Floyd McClung he wrote this book called The Father Heart of God and I just want to quote from that book because uh, he has a lot of wise things to say about the Father heart of God, the heart of God the Father. McClung wrote, Is there no one to comfort us? Who will father the children of men? Whose arms are big enough 
for all the lonely children of the world who weeps over our pains who will comfort us in our loneliness only by a broken hearted father who is rejected by the little ones he yearns to heal our problem is that we like a brow beaten puppy shrink away from the one whom we assume will be like the other authorities in our life but he is not he is perfect love it was God who gave this command to parents in the New Testament. Do not exasperate your children. In other words, do not scold or nag your children, making them angry and resentful. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is true parental authority. Authority we should be glad to submit to. So that's parental authority. Parental presence is another thing I want to touch on you know we are God's children and he knows our name God the creator of the universe knows each and every one of us by name he knows us personally but maybe deep in your heart you doubt his faithfulness as a child you may have experienced the complete absence of a father because of death or divorce Maybe you were orphaned by the demands of your parents' careers. Or is it just the childhood memory of broken promises or neglect that haunts you? As a small child, did you feel forgotten and alone? Do you have an ability, an inability to sense God's presence with you? Is your heart soft? towards God or hardened with cynicism and distrust you know there is one attribute of God that not even the best parent could hope to imitate and that is God's ability to be with us all the time as parents we just cannot give our children constant attention 24 hours a day we are finite beings believe it or not and we, as finite beings, we cannot focus on more than one thing at a time. But God is different. Not only is, is he with us all of the time, but he gives us his whole attention. Our parents were often preoccupied with their activities and sometimes showed little interest in the small events of our lives. But God is not like that. He cares. And, you know, he is a God of detail. Why does the Bible say that God has numbered the hairs on our head? Not because God is concerned with abstract mathematics or he's a computer wanting more data. The picture that, that this uh, is trying to convey is in what sort of detail that God knows us and that he cares about our lives. Now you may say something like, but if he's loved me so much, then why haven't I felt him or seen him? Can I say that it isn't God who has failed you? But it's those around you who are responsible for you. And for us as adults, too many times we have failed to become God's voice and his hands. To those who do not know him far too few people 
far too few people, get that right, allow themselves to be led by the broken heart of Jesus to those who need to see his love demonstrated through others. You see, Jesus isn't attracted to pleasant places, but instead to hurting people. And he pursues us with his love from our very first breath until the day we die. Your heavenly Father was there. He was present when you took your first steps as a child. He was there through the hurts and disappointments of life. And he is present now at this moment. We were briefly loaned to human parents who for a few years were supposed to have showered us with love like his love. The love and security of a good home and family were intended by God to prepare us for his love. And if our parents failed us, then we must recognise that fact, acknowledge it. We must forgive them and then go on to open our hearts to God's love. Our loving Father awaits even now with outstretched arms. Because our God is a generous God. You know, our, our modern homes are filled with many expensive and fragile furnishings and, you know, fragile appliances, things that represent a minefield of potential rejection and rebuke for inquisitive toddlers. How many parents, I wonder, have exploded in anger at a child who has damaged a treasured object, has broken it? Something that's got has great value, or perhaps has great sentimental value. And you know, children are constantly reminded of the importance of things, their value, and how to care for them. They seldom hear the simple words, I love you. You know, a repetitious and destructive chant working its way into the subconscious mind of our children these days is. Things are more important than me. Things are more important to me. You know, but, you know we, we, we can't obviously abandon our homes, but we do need to realise that our concept of God's generosity may have been crippled by our childhood experiences and that we may need to radically alter our priorities so we can communicate God's love to our children. We can never say, I love you too much to our kids. But the truth is, God is incredibly generous. Creation shows an extravagance of colour, complexity and design that goes far beyond just simple functional value. God shows incredible attention to the details of our life. And he longs to surprise us with those little extra things, those pleasures and treasures that only a father would know that we yearn for. I think I've seen three photos of the sunrises in the last couple of days. And if you're out at sunrise, 
it is just spectacular. And when I go for my walk sometimes in the morning and you see these sunrises, I just got to stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you. You are awesome that you put on this display in the sky every morning. It's wonderful. You see, God is not stingy, possessive, or materialistic. You know, we tend to use people as things, see them as things, but God uses things to bless people, to bless us. People are far more valuable than things. God shows his generosity in more important ways than just through material things, though, because he gives us that which is intangible, but of far greater value. Things like forgiveness, mercy, love. Then there's parental affection. Do you have any idea how attractive you are to God? One of the biggest hindrances to intimacy with God is that people feel that they are not good enough or they don't measure up. Or So if they don't measure up, why would God like them, let alone love them? Sometimes we don't understand what a doting father God is. We're the centre of his affections. We need to get that in our heads. Yeah, our parents may proudly display our pictures in an album or on Facebook, but how does that compare with God's infinite capacity to be overjoyed with our every success? It was actually God who heard us speak our first word. The hours spent that we spent alone exploring new features with baby hands were a delight to our Heavenly Father. Yeah, some of God's greatest treasures are the memories of our childhood laughter. And you know what? There's never been another child like you and never will be. Each and every one of us are unique. You know, we live in a performance-orientated society. Acceptance is conditional. If you make the football team, if you bring home a good school report, if you look pretty, if you have money, if you win, then you are accepted and loved. But our God is a God of unconditional love. And God's love is not based on performance. He loves us because he is love. God's promises are conditional. We must obey him to see blessing. But his love is unconditional. And this means that because he is loved by his very nature and his choices, we don't need to do anything to get him to love us. He loves us just as we are. We need to come to him and receive his love. But that does not mean we have to become like a saint first. He says, come as you are. Just be honest with him. 
because he delights to forgive us. You may be unable to receive God's love and approval and a true love relationship involves the giving and receiving of love. It's a two-way thing. So what is your response to God when he simply says he loves you? Can you receive his love without rushing into frantic activity to earn or to justify his approval? Are you able to enjoy that peace and the contentment that comes when you accept God's unconditional love? All through life, we have to perform and compete even as a tiny baby, we were compared to other babies. People said we were either too fat or too thin or had his legs or her nose. But God, our Heavenly Father, he delighted in our uniqueness. And he still does. He still does. Yes, there is much to be done in our lives. We're far from perfect. And there will be days when God brings us to a deep understanding of areas of sin or selfishness in our lives that need to be changed and submitted to him. But God is not always demanding changes. He knows our limits. And he gives us grace and power to do the things he asks of us. He's a tender, loving, compassionate God. And most of the time he just says, I love you. I love you. Even when he is unhappy about the things we've done or we're doing, he still loves us. I love you, he says. And he communicates that love through his much-loved son, Jesus. If you've been hindered in your relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, due to some kind of parental failure, then take these things to the Lord and he will help you to heal so that you can begin to see him truly. Not through the marred, distorted images of your past. He will help you to forgive the people that affected you in that way. Hard as that may be because he knows that bitterness will consume you and stop you from knowing peace. That needs to be taken to him because he wants us to see him as he truly is, the way Jesus saw him, the way Jesus experienced him, not the way we think he is. I'm going to ask Kathy to come up at this point. And she's going to share some of her journey through this whole process. Thanks, Carl. I'm just going to give my testimony because Jeff asked me to. Um, always easier at home to say yes than it is when you get up here. I grew up not liking myself very much. My father is one of those people who are unable to cope with parenting. I now know that he didn't receive any outward signs of love while he was growing up. And during my childhood, he was unable to show any affection or sign of love, either to my mother or to myself and my, and my sister. I never remember pleasing him. 
At best, I felt he tolerated me as something he had to put up with. I remember feeling scared of him and came to the obvious conclusion that there must be something wrong with me. If this powerful, charismatic man, and he was a very powerful, charismatic man, who was beautiful with other people's children, they always had fun with him. If he didn't like me, there must be something wrong with me. So my sister and I grew up feeling unloved. But I think worse than that, we felt unlovable. After all, if your own father can't love you, it must be pretty bad. And by the time I was 13 years old, I was headed for the streets. I looked a lot older than my age, and I was very well developed in all the right places, and I found I could gain quite a bit of a male attention, and this was something I craved. My older sister had become involved in a church fellowship group through her friends, and somehow I found myself attending at her invitation a Billy Graham crusade. As you know, he was a famous evangelist back in the 50s and 60s, and at that crusade, I remember thinking maybe, just maybe, it was really possible for someone to both know me and to really love me. It was so much what I wanted. If God could clean out maybe the muck inside of me, all the dirt and the grot, maybe I could be all right. And I wanted that so badly. And so I began my journey my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Now that has been nearly 50 years ago now and I've had a lot of learning to do about God. I have found out what it's like to have a perfect Father who can heal hurts and bad memories and who has shown me such overwhelming love that I know, I know now that I am loved despite my inadequacies. And there are many of them. I took a long time to believe in my heart that God really did love me and that he wouldn't just one day turn around and say, sorry, but you're just not good enough. I never really wanted you. To believe that he actually made me so that I could love him, that he actually wanted me, he wanted to have a relationship with me, and that he delighted in me, and that we wanted me to feel secure and confident in that relationship was absolutely life transforming. Now, I'm not going to share that part of the journey with you this morning because it was rather long, but I want to share with you a very, very precious memory to me that I might get a bit emotional about, but was something that happened in my 50s that really helped me realise how much my heavenly father had done for me. You see, my father left my mother six months after I became a Christian at that Billy Graham crusade. I realised a long time ago the timeliness of God's provision for me that I came to know him just before that was happened because I was hurting and I was scared. And by that time I had a large fellowship group who enfolded me and cared for me during that traumatic teenage years that followed. I got lots of male attention that was kept within appropriate boundaries and protected me while I was matured. My father remarried and moved out of my life. Over the next 30 years or more, he had little contact with me or my family. God, during that time, helped me to forgive him, but he was not part of my life through his choice. Then, my father's wife died, and he renewed contact. 
Lonely and wanting to make some peace with himself, he contacted me and he accepted an invitation to come to Sydney and stay with us for a few days. I must admit I wasn't sure how I'd feel and what I was going to do with this man that I didn't know. I'd only seen him maybe six or seven times during those 35 years and I knew didn't know me or my family. On the Saturday afternoon of his visit, I was actually driving home from the shops having gone down to pick up some things and this ridiculous song that I do not like or had not liked came on the radio. I don't know if you know it, it's called Butterfly Kisses. It's the most soppiest song about fathers looking out at her. And I found myself with tears running down my face. I remember asking God, where is this coming from? It's a long time since I've had any tears about my father. I haven't felt distressed or heard about him for many long years. And I felt God say to me, you know, Kathy, this is what I wanted for you, to have a father who would love you throughout your entire life, who would make you feel special and cherished, who would be in your ball court when things went wrong. I don't think until that moment I had been aware of the lack But what happened in that car and over the ensuing 24 hours was that I became aware ever so joyfully that my Heavenly Father had made up for the lack in my life, even when I hadn't been aware of the need. My Heavenly Father had been loving me, supplying all my needs through his abundant storehouses. That I had lacked for nothing because I was the daughter of a king of thinking. That night, I took my father to my eldest son's home for tea. He and his wife and newborn baby were there as well as my second son and his then fiance. As I was listening to the flow of conversation and laughter around the dining table, I realized with one of those moments of clarity how much my heavenly father had been faithful to me. It had hurt in my early years that my father had never acknowledged the birth of his grandchildren and never sought to know them or to love them. God, on the other hand, had done all those things. He knew and loved my children, even better and more than I did. And his love for my children was such that he had broken the cycle of rejection that had been passed from my father's family to me. My grandfather had not been able to show affection or love to his wife or her to his children, and so neither had my father been able to show love to his wife or to his children. But here were my two sons loving openly and nurturing openly their parent partners and my other son's child in such a way that I had never felt free to do. How good it is to be the daughter of a heavenly father. He is able to do far more than any earthly father. He knew how precious my children were to me and how I had agonised and struggled with self-doubt during my parenting. And here were my two precious sons, healthy young men with a new family heritage to pass on to their children. Wow, what an Abba.
Our Heavenly Father is the perfect parent. He always disciplines and love. He is faithful, generous, kind and just. He loves us and he longs to spend time with us. He longs for us to spend time with him. Our Heavenly Father wants us to receive his love and know that we are special and unique, very special to him. Jesus, as the Son of God, has shown us the kind of relationship we have as Christian believers, as God's sons and daughters, a relationship to which we aspire to in heaven with our Father for eternity. So my question to you this morning is, will you receive our Heavenly Father's love and affection as he intended it? Will you let down the barriers and enter into an, enter into an intimate relationship with your true Father in heaven? And if you do, he is patiently waiting for you to come to him. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we see your relationship with your Son, that this is the kind of relationship that you are drawing us into. We thank you that you've made it possible through our, your Son's sacrifice on the cross. Our Lord, today, if there's work that needs to be done in our hearts, if there's forgiveness to be given, if you want us to deal with any bitterness or resentment towards our parents, our Father, let your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Let the healing process begin. Let your love, let your love shine through. And Lord, we are eternally grateful for what you've done in our lives. And we pray that we may encourage one another in that love. That together we may celebrate your love that we see in Jesus, the Son of God. And in his name we pray. Amen. After the, at the end of the service, if you'd... Uh, like to spend a bit of time praying just come down the front Kathy, myself, Stuart will be available to uh, pray with you if there's something you'd like to discuss or turn over to the Lord then don't waste the day this is an opportunity so we're happy to pray with you for you and uh, we pray that God will bless you thank you thanks Annette